HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. Hey everyone, this is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end of year fun drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. You, of course, are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report. I am your host, Erin Fairbanks, in studio for the last episode of 2016. And I couldn't be more thrilled than to be joined by a very special guest. Um, it's so great to have you back in Bushwick. Um, Arian, Thank you. <laughs> Ariane Degun of D'Artagnan. Um, welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks for making the, the trek out on this very frosty morning. Um, I am excited. I want to point people um, in the direction we had uh, Ariana on as a guest of our evolutionary series, and I would definitely recommend checking that out to get a full kind of backstory on her amazing work and the 
trajectory of the company that she runs. Um, today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about what's happening now and what's been going on since the last time we had you in the studio. Um, you guys have made quite an expansion in, in recent years. So I wanted to get a update on, on how that's going. We were talking a little bit before the show. I feel like in the meat industry in particular, um, when folks expand, they often uh, put down a footprint that's bigger than anything they could ever imagine needing to use. And then they get it six months in and they're like, it's not big enough. Are you guys experiencing that or how, how are things going? Uh, yes, 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 of <laughs> course. We, um, we stayed in the same place for 15 years and it was 33,000 square feet. And the last three Christmases and Thanksgiving have been a nightmare. You know, we didn't know where to put things. We had to um, uh, put things out before uh, things could come in. I mean, it was logistically and labor, it was so non-efficient because the, the, the space was so tight. So we decided to move and we went uh, from Newark to Union, uh, New Jersey, where we have a space of 87 thousand square feet and that's two football fields practically <laughs> so we, i was like measuring your uh, workspace by football fields i yeah, feel like yeah. you're like in a different category <laughs> well uh, frankly i do it in rugby uh, ah, field, yes. uh, okay. but uh, we're, we're here in uh, the u.s so, so <laughs> and we did the same thing in chicago we doubled the space in chicago and then we opened in houston um so in houston it's a little smaller uh but in Chicago, it's starting to be a big space, too. And so uh, this coming uh, Thanksgiving was uh, our uh, first Thanksgiving in the new space. And you know what? With all the turkeys, we filled the space the first year. So it's it's puzzling, you know. I mean, how, how are we going to do this when you have one uh, species that takes so much space for one time a year? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but we, we manage, we manage, and there are things that are uh, selling less those time of the year, so we put them more up uh, on the, because we expanded in square feet, but also in cubic feet. Okay. So we have one more, I think, a fourth, a fourth uh, floor, if you wish, uh, a fourth uh, pallet sp space okay. uh, up there, and so that helps also. Um, so we're very happy to be there, though, because the offices are spacious and we're comfortable there and the heat works. And, uh, <laughs> the heat so works. <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> so it's very nice. Well, you know, our office space is located in the, for the radio network, is located in the middle of a warehouse just around the corner. We share space with Heritage Foods USA, um, also a, a meat distributor, although on a somewhat smaller scale. But it's always so fascinating to me when you think about these uh, businesses like that that are are very driven um, by the holidays, by events around certain times of year, where you need a lot of space in your freezers and your coolers, uh, right. just moving around, but you don't need it all year round. And so it's, like, that's yeah, a little it, tricky. It, and, it, and we're not particularly, uh, the seasonality, of course, you know, people give more and, f and, and, and eat more during the holidays, but still, uh, we have a pretty steady business thanks to uh, retailers who carry our products all year long, and we do have products that are popular all year long. It's just that that one Thanksgiving 
with a turkey, turkey thing. Yeah. The tur uh, turkey takes so much, so much space, you know. And so that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> so for folks who are are n not super familiar with the the product line and the work that you guys do, can you give us just kind of the elevator overview? Okay. Elevator, which floor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, let's say right, somewhere right. around twentieth. You know, right, we have okay, a few okay, minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we, what we do first, we source um, species of animals, and so we want to be able to sell products to restaurants, retailers, and also direct to uh, the consumer on a website. Products that come from animals that were well-raised and that we can be proud of. We aim for the best, best quality possible. And to have the best quality possible in a meat protein business, you need to have the, um, uh, it needs to come from animals that were well-raised raised without stress, with respect, without any chemicals or medicines. And so what our, our job is to find a network of farmers or ranchers that are going to be ready to raise the animals the way we want it. Um, and uh, the, we call it our specs. Mm -hmm. And basically it's at the minimum never, never any antibiotics from birth which is not what, you know, when you see that on the label, antibiotic-free, doesn't mean that it was from birth. It, uh, it can be a program where uh, they stop the antibiotics, you know, a certain number of days before the slaughtering. So that's not the case with us. It's really from birth. Never any growth hormones, never any medication, period. When an animal is sick in, our, in, in the farms we are partners with, they get out of our system. They, of course... They get medication when they are sick, but right. we cannot. We don't get them. They uh, they go out somewhere else. So the farmer the... has a different outlet for right. those animals. Right. Oh wow! Um, so that's the minimum, and then we also organize the logistics around it. So the live transportation from uh, the farms to the slaughterhouse. You guys are managing that. We we. It's not necessarily our trucks. It it is not our trucks. Right, but. We have specs also right. for it, okay. which is a certain distance, which is a certain length of time that um, the driver can stop for uh, food or uh, whatever with ventilation, proper ventilation, proper space, proper um, uh, equipment in the truck so the animals don't uh, fly around when, uh, when there is a, a, a tight turn. Sure. Um, and then rules, like if you stop, if you need to stop for any reason, it has to be in the shadow. The ventilation has to keep going, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then the maximum length of time from the slaughterhouse to the farmers. And mm -hmm. that's why uh, local is a good word. And we thrive to be local in the markets where we are today, which is Texas, uh, Illinois, and um, here in New Jersey and the tri-state area, but um, it is a function of where the slaughterhouse is, not us. Right. And that's a big, big um, dilemma and issue here in uh, the U.S. today because there are less and less slaughterhouses, and the ones that exist are bigger and bigger, so they don't accept very easily uh, animals that have a different morphology than the ones they are used to. 
What say, can you say that word again? Morphology. 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 So, uh, shape of the animal, right. size of the animal. And so it's difficult to find the right slaughterhouse for our pure Berkshire pork, for mm -hmm. example, which is much bigger because it lives much longer than the regular large white. Or it's difficult to find a good slaughterhouse for our Wagyu beef um, because it's at least three years old, it ate a lot of grain at the end, it's a very uh, sturdy and, and full of muscle, and, 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 but also marbled fat animal. Um, it's difficult to find a slaughterhouse for our poultry because we are sticky on one point on the poultry, we want air chilling, which ah, means yeah. we, we don't want any of our, whether it's poultry or game birds, we don't want them to be uh, dipped in a tank of water, ice water, and wait until the water gets in and, and actually puts weight on that animal. We, we hate that. Our chefs hate that too. Um, it's much better uh, sanitation-wise and quality-wise to air chill them. That means as soon as you process them and they are plucked, they go in a refrigerator with a high, high wind, very cold wind inside, so that they dry and cool in the same time. And that way, the flavors are really well concentrated inside. So all those things make it very difficult to get to the, uh, the whole network, you know, the farmers, the slaughterhouse, and then the final... Um, other logistic, which is the, uh, the truck from the slaughterhouse to our three warehouses, soon four. Ah, and, uh, where are you opening? Oh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. And the, um, or just a little south of Atlanta. I mean, we're looking right now. Yeah. Um, and then uh, temperature loggers and uh, specifications from our warehouse to the final destination, whether it's a retailer or a, or a restaurant. And, and that's easy. That's just temperature. So we now have temperature loggers. So we know exactly the uh, temperature of the truck at any time. And, um, uh, and we, are, we are very watchful, very careful about that. And in each warehouse, the other, the other rule or spec or uh, point of quality control is the rotation. So... Uh, total traceability, barcoding every case, so we know every piece of uh, meat that's inside that case, we know where it comes from, when it arrived here, when it was processed, by who, etc. So it's so, I like love, um, you, you know, so much growth has happened over the course of um, the business. I like love thinking about you, like launching the brand essentially from your like, kitchen stovetop like making rayettes in an apartment to now like looking for your third kind of warehouse and distribution space fourth fourth, fourth sorry um like it tra you know, kind of like tracing back that growth a little bit what i would love to talk about from kind of like an industry standpoint is you know, you've definitely identified some of the challenges with relation to finding adequate um, slaughter and slaughter that slaughter facilities that are kind of set up to deal with the uh, breeds of animals that you're looking for and the, the type of uh, processing that you're looking for. Um, but you've been able to grow. So how like how has that is that a reflective of you're just finding the good people who are, are still doing that work? Are you Have you seen a change in the industry? Is it coming more from the consumer side where there's just a demand so people are catching up? Like, 
what are the factors in that infrastructure that are allowing your business to get kind of bigger, not smaller? It's a catch-22. Yeah. When it starts to work, then it, it, it calls for more growth. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning, we had to beg farmers, literally to beg them. Uh, now they, knock, they come and knock at the door, and we have to make sure they are close to another network existing or to a network of where we're going to open a warehouse. Um, but at the beginning, uh, we sold solely because of the quality. Uh, through chefs of uh, restaurants who understood the the quality and wanted the best. And now consumers are, uh, thanks to the chef, are more and more, and, and other things, uh, are, uh, there is a nice evolution and they are more and more aware of um, uh, the quality, but also the health concerns. Where does your animal come from? Uh, what, what did it eat? Uh, how was it raised, etc. And all those functions uh, have an effect on your health and of, uh, on your well-being. So it's not just quality anymore. It's also doing the right thing. Right. Know, the right. And so as there has been this evolution, we've seen it in our uh, infrastructure and our growth of sales. At the beginning, it was mainly, mainly restaurants. And today, and, and then uh, and some fine uh, gourmet stores. And today, it's more mainstream stores because consumers are uh, uh, really more and more conscious about all those things. And so they do go and they do ask for... Of course, you have to be mindful and have a, a price that is uh, reachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because there are always... You can always do better... You know, you can always age longer a chicken or you can always do something. But there is a point where you're not going to have the client anymore. So on the restaurant side, it's less true. We really are going full, full blast on the best, best quality possible. On the consumers, it's, it has one, it's one step behind, but it's getting there. Right. The evolution is and it's very, very um, encouraging to see. Uh, because um, it uh, pushes us to to get better and better and better all the time. And because the volume starts to be there, it's much easier than trying to get better when you're not sure there is a market for it. There's a market for it. Well, yeah, that was kind of what I was curious about is, you know, you set protocols around, um, you know, time and temperature and space and ventilation that you kind of outlined for us. Um, Where do those come from? Like, where do you, like, if I, you know, you sit down and you're kind of like, this is the right amount of time, or this is the right amount of air chilling, or this is the right, because obviously, like, the, there's some, like, the, you know, USDA standards that are kind of like, you know, there's rules that you have to meet, but right. you know, I'm assuming that you, you're, you know, you're obviously going beyond that. But how do you decide, and and then how do you experiment at the margins of like where else you might want to like push or refine those things? So on the animal uh, husbandry, we did not invent anything. Uh, <laughs> there were things in Europe that were set up, uh, uh, label rouge or AOP. Um, uh, specs, specifications, and so for example, on our organic chicken, we'll have much more room to roam around, Mm -hmm. both outside and inside, uh, than 
uh, an, another organic chicken uh, that will have exactly the same thing on the label as a definition of the USDA. Um, the definition of the USDA on organic means sufficient space. Right. That's all, in, that's all they say in the rule. What is sufficient space? For me, sufficient space is at least three feet per animal. For, I'm not going to name any, any names, but for uh, a factory farmed organic chicken, which exists today, it could be only one square foot per animal. Um, by the USDA standards, organic means access to the outside. They don't mean how much of access. You know, how many doors can you put in a barn when you have a barn of 15,000 chickens in there? Right. And so all those things we, um, we fight to be able to put on the label, and, and it's very difficult because of those USDA regulations. But we sleep better at night knowing that uh, our, uh, even with the same label definitions, our organic chickens are better because they come from small farmers who give more space to the animals, so the animals will roam around more, they will be outside more, they will have more muscle tone, and also they will live longer. And so because of that, we have a better tasting. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I feel like in the end, like all of those things, they like really only work if as a consumer, I can taste the difference. If I'm like, oh yes, your chicken tastes different this Absolutely. chicken tastes different than yeah. other chickens to me yeah. Yeah. um and and one of the things i find so frustrating sometimes in the kind of meat conversation is uh because you're dealing with animals because we have i think a sense of uh empathy and and caretaking and and respect in that relationship um i feel like chefs and consumers are there, there's like this line of conversation where folks are, as, as a person buying the meat, you know, you're like, oh, do it because it's like a good thing to do or the right thing to do. And I just think that's like a challenging, like that is challenging to ask of consumers. Um, I, I feel like leading with flavor first is, yeah. Yeah. is, you know, like some people will buy because they're like, oh, this is a great thing, but they're not going to pay more for a product that's harder to get that doesn't taste as good. I am with you 100%. <laughs> and we've been in business for 31 years now. And that has been the, the mission from the beginning. Get the best quality possible. And it happens to be also the uh, healthiest one. Right. But, but Which makes first sense. it's the, yeah. the best quality possible. Yeah. How do you decide, um, you know, when you were like looking to to grow, you know, going from the tri-state area to Chicago, down to Texas, now looking at Atlanta, um, are, are those where the producers are? Are those different kind of regions of the country for kind of shipping and distribution on the back end? Like what, how do you like make sense of where to set up shop? Uh, no, we first look at the potential of the, on the selling side. Mm -hmm. Um, so Wherever we don't have our own network of trucks, meaning five hours around those warehouses, uh, we ship by airline or by um, common carrier uh, next day. And then we have a certain volume. And when we see a pattern of volume weekly, whether it's uh, restaurants or uh, retailers or a combination of uh, both, uh, then we look at it and say, hey, maybe it's time to, there is, you know, there are certain numbers that trigger a, 
wow, uh, maybe uh, it's time to go to Atlanta. Yeah, you know? to evaluate a, that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can imagine that the uh, technology as it relates to logistics has evolved over that 30 years of like what tools are available for businesses to use and the type of um, kind of expertise that's out there for you to work with um, at both as an employer. I mean, it, it's got to be different than when you started and, you know, you're keeping track of things in, in like a, a notebook and then a computer. And then what like what is the logistic um, like what is the like the I'm not sure how to ask this question, but like. The, the technology so, well, like, the yeah yeah like how like what's too, the scene right now like what yeah. are the like trends what are the primary tools so the primary tools that we are using today are two one is a barcoding and the barcoding allows us to read with some kind of a gun to read all kind of information on every shipment coming in down to the product itself within the case and the second one is a temperature logger mm-hmm. which is a little thing disposable or not, that you can put inside the box, uh, just mark the box outside, and so you know it's there. And that little thing is able to read from 33 hours, sometimes even 72 hours, of temperature. So you know uh, what kind of abuse or not (laughs) that shipment has been... um, uh, going through has been gone through so so those two uh, little technology bits have been very very important to us and then we're looking at the future but uh, you know I don't want to jump in something that is not ready yet but we're looking at a lot of things uh, for the future and um, I just read somewhere that um, some company uh, had uh, the, for the first time a truck going from east coast to west coast without a driver in in the truck. What? Yes, yes. Uh, look at it. Google it. You'll see. You'll see. It's uh, it's amazing and frightening in the same time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know what's you know how long that's gonna take, but right. it. What's what's amazing is that it does exist. That's yeah. it. Somebody did it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've heard a little bit about. You know, I feel like more has been in the news about kind of. Uh, I feel like Uber and driverless cars, and like I know they've been testing in Pennsylvania, and that whole idea of automation uh, in in those spaces brings up a lot of feel. <laughs> feelings for folks um we're gonna take let's just take a quick uh break to hear from our network sponsor um you guys you're out there you're listening to the farm report we are gonna be right back with some more meat talk and this one's called kratom coma by our former intern young malcolm we'll be right back Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. 
Or come by Escapemaker's Blue Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Have you listened to On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio? Escapemaker has teamed up with Heritage Radio to design a vacation package that provides a first-hand experience of the local flavors from some of New York's best craft beverage producers. Listen in and book your trip at escapemaker.com slash heritageradio. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back. We are wrapping up 2016 with a little bit of meat talk. We are here in the studio with Ariane Degun of D'Artagnan and talking about um, the growth of her business over the last 30 years and a little bit about what the future may look like. Potentially driverless cross-country trucks would not have been the first thing at the top of my list, but um, it, it you know will be... It's so it's so funny. I feel like the things change so fast in the world. I think often like about just social media, you know, this thing, or iPhones, these things that didn't exist in any like really significant way, like, you know, within the last like five to 10 years that are now such a ubiquitous part of our life. And as a business like this necessary positions, necessary tools, um, when you think about the kind of communication aspects of of the work that you guys are doing, you know, as consumers are becoming more educated, um, are they? Do you find like the questions that you're getting uh, have become more nuanced, or it's just like more people are finding you because you're a kind of leader in this space? Or how has the um, education level of the country like fed into your business? Do people are people more demanding of you than they used to be, or? They're just excited because you exist. They, they are demanding as always, but in a different kind of way. Uh, as people are getting more and more sophisticated, they are trying recipes that are really hardcore recipes. You know, they go on Instagram and look at something that looks really, really delicious and they want to reproduce. So that's a kind of question that we have to answer all the time. And... Um, uh, but I'm fortunate to have uh, most of our uh, uh, marketing and sales crew is uh, from a cooking background. Uh, they were all chefs at one point or another, or most of them. So it, it makes it a little easier. Uh, yeah. to. And so we have to be very careful to try to be as thorough as we can on uh, our uh, website and social media communication so people have all the information. But yes, there is also the odd question coming up. And uh, um, I, we were talking about technology earlier. Um, there was a, a question the other day about how do you, if, if you have so much access to the outside, how do you deal with predators? Mm -hmm. And um, that's a question that, Nobody asked 30 years ago. <laughs> they didn't even know, you yeah. know, the, uh, that there was a, the, uh, all they wanted to know is that the animals were free range. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't even fathom that there was a fox or an eagle or yeah. a, a big bird. And so we have, uh, uh, 
so well, it de- of course it depends on the species, but it's pretty funny because there is uh, uh, in the Amish community uh, they are allowed to uh, use solar energy. Uh, it's technology, but it's a technology that has been allowed by the religion, by the, some of the ch- most of the churches of uh, Amish. So they have a system where the actual door of the barn of the poultry barn closes when the sun goes down and that's perfect that makes perfect sense because uh, chickens naturally go inside at yeah. uh, sundown and so a few minutes later boom the door closes automatically you don't need to go out and actually close it uh, um, you can also put a system of solar energy to have the food dispenser through an ogre and a system of um, 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 just from high to low right. uh, so it's gravity, gravity uh, system to uh, to feed a little more automatically. So that that has been uh, helping on uh, that side, and um, um, so that's very exciting to have um, uh, questions like that. The on the other predators during the day, uh, there are there are other ways. You know, we put nets uh, outside so that. Uh, big birds can't just dive in. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, the thing people really don't know about is that like like chicken flocks are very vulnerable to other birds of prey. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like I visited a turkey farm a couple of years ago and they had a donkey on the farm because donkeys are great protectors of turkeys because for some reason large birds of prey don't like donkeys they don't like the sound they make they don't like them in the space so they're like kind yeah. of and i was like oh a donkey as a guard animal who would have thought yeah. there, there is something that i found in france in southwest france that um i've, I've been trying to convince farmers to use here it's a kite a huge kite that looks like a big 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 eagle but <laughs> but like 20 times the size of an eagle so even an eagle would think that this really is a predator <laughs> yeah so um and it takes some some um, a little time for the, the the poultry down there, the ducks or the geese or the uh, the chickens to to get used to it and to figure out no, this is not a predator. This is an everyday thing right. that we have, but it's very good against other predators. <laughs> so, um, you know, you you over the years, obviously, you you've expanded and grown, and I'm, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about building your team um because obviously like you're you're working with more and more people um how do you kind of look to make hiring decisions for key people what is like the vibe and the tone from like an employment standpoint um because obviously you're doing something right so give us your secrets (laughs) (laughs) it's no secret uh the name of the company is d'artagnan d'artagnan he was one of the three musketeers their motto was all for one one for all that's what we do, all for one, one for all. And uh, so um, the idea is, in theory, it's very easy. The idea is to keep accountable um, managers, you know, and once they are in position because we feel they are capable of doing it, then uh, give them enough of the, the keys and the uh, uh, independence to do their thing. And so um, uh, we have uh, our President Andy Wertheim put in place something extraordinary that um, uh, keeps accountable. You know, we have to reach certain objectives 
company-wide, sure. and then down to the territory or the manager or the department of the company, and then down to the uh, the individual uh, have objectives, and so so everybody is together to actually get to that objective, and that's very very good for uh, the all for one one for all uh, spirit because when somebody is not pulling their weight or is having problems or doesn't understand some parts of uh, their uh, uh, job, the other ones are around, are noticing because everything is transparent. Right. We have reports up to the wazoo every day, every <laughs> week, and and so and they help because they need to help because it's for the good of everybody that they help and so it's a win-win for the company and for the individuals and when in case an individual doesn't work out uh, after a while it becomes so obvious by everybody that most of the time these people leave we don't we don't have to fire them. They just leave because they see that they are a weight to everybody else. The culture doesn't like reinforce. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. So uh, how has your, your role evolved? I mean, you know, you're obviously here in Bushwick uh, in December chatting with me, uh, sharing kind of uh, the work that you guys have been doing, um, which I have to imagine is probably a different role than you might have played 10, 15 years ago in the middle of December. Um, you know, what, what gets you excited, um, these days and like, what are the tasks that are like the top of your to-do list and like the tasks that are, you're like, uh, okay, I'm going to take care of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so the, after 31 years, I'm happy to say that, uh, the, the, the tasks that are, uh, really painful to me are less and less because <laughs> I have the, the uh, leisure to uh, give it to somebody else. So now it's about strategy. Uh, where are we going? When? How? Um, it's about, um, sourcing. Uh, where is the next network of farmers? Have we maxed out on that network of farmers here or can we add one more farmer? Because we don't want farmers to raise more than uh, what uh, would be allowed by the specifications, right. the, uh, the square feet per animal or things like that. So we have to forecast and we have to add farmers to the group as we grow like that. But then when we open a new market like Atlanta, then we have to form new, a new network of sure. farmers. We have to find a new slaughterhouse, etc., per species. And so um, I keep a, a very close eye on this because this is the fun part yeah. for me, um, except traveling in winter. Uh, in <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, uh, You're like, well, go traveling in winter to Atlanta should be like not so bad. To, yeah, to Atlanta is okay, but uh, to uh, Missouri yeah. is not the same thing. <laughs> so, but I feel like I end up going, I go to Missouri once a year to pack turkeys actually for heritage foods. And I'm like, I need to come back to this state when things are a little like greener and like more lush because I feel like I'm not getting the the show me state is not showing I'm not getting it giving it its best opportunity to show up well that seems complex like thinking about those um because all of the different species of animals is also not like they grow and develop on the same time frame I mean chickens are moving much fat much faster than pigs and pigs much faster than beef and like so there's all like all of the like if you're bringing new suppliers into the network 
there's a certain amount of like lead time for some species that's going to be very yeah. different for others. For others, absolutely, absolutely. And even within the chicken world, you have uh, <clears throat> we have we have several programs. One of them is the uh, our um, uh, green circle chicken, uh, where we. Um, we try to do something about waste, and in the same time, we feed them natural things that they would uh, enjoy and, and make it better for them, higher quality again. Um, and so around the Amish community, we find markets, Amish markets, that will, and we make a deal with them to get the unsold vegetables at the end of the, uh, the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those go to the uh, the farmers who have those um, green circle chickens, and so that's very exciting because it's a double whammy right there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so we do things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot. I feel like food waste has definitely been a big uh, topic in recent years, and rightfully so. I mean, the figures uh, around you know, it's be- I hear between thirty and forty percent from field to fork is being wasted in the U.S as far as like food we produce, which is kind of a staggering number. Um, and then you have on, kind of on the flip side of that, people really talking a lot about how we need to kind of grow and produce more food. And those two things never quite make sense to me. I'm like, well, I think if we wasted like a significantly less portion of food, yeah. we would be <clears throat> recognizing. Yeah. Uh, and, and some people have different jobs that, that can impact differently. On, in, uh, in our uh, world, what at D'Artagnan, what we think is that we absolutely have to do something about uh, using, utilizing the whole animal. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is not a trend. It's not uh, the, uh, the fashion of the months or the, or the trend for the year. You know? Right. Pigs have always had heads and feet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And a shoulder and a leg yes. and a middle. <laughs> and so if everybody was buying uh, just bacon, we would be in trouble. So, <laughs> so our job is to find uh, an outlet for every part of the animal in the same quantity than the most popular cut, which at the beginning was very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, and now, we are, as the volume uh, comes in and as the evolution of the company and of the sophistication of the palate of the consumers is in, we are able more and more to, uh, to do that without having just to downgrade it to the regular program mm-hmm. and uh, have it done something uh, commodity-oriented. So um, for us, it's very rewarding. Yeah, to do that to and to work on new um, uh, ready-to-eat products or uh, to introduce to uh, restaurant clients a new cut in the beef that they m- might have uh, overlooked, um, to make something good with cuts that are as good as the middle meats, but a little more difficult to cook. You know, it's going to take a little longer. It's going to take a little braising, but it's good. My father always told me, my father had a hotel restaurant in um, Osh, Gascogne, in southwest France, where D'Artagnan is from. Yes. And um, <laughs> he always um, told me a good chef is not, and he had two Michelin stars, so you know he, he knew what he was doing. Um, a good chef is not a cook who can cook lobster and caviar and truffles and foie gras the the right way. A good chef is somebody who can take what comes in nature and do something good with all the parts. Uh, He told me that 40, 45 years ago. So this is not a new thing. This is... uh, 
maybe we had forgotten and maybe we're back to it. But at D'Artagnan, we always, always has that, had that in mind from the beginning. So we are coming to the end of our time here. I mean, how do you decide what to eat for you know, end of year holiday meals. I mean, as someone who, you know, you have access to all like the most exciting things, what are your kind of like go-to like celebratory things? Or is that not how you, are, are you like, ah, I don't need as much meat anymore? <laughs> like, I don't know, no. Holidays are holidays. Yes, you have good. to celebrate Ooh, in family. <laughs> if you were uh, like, oh no, I am vegan I, now, I'd be like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I have a, my daughter is coming from San Francisco. My parents are coming from uh, Osh. My uh, niece uh, is coming from Paris. I have a couple of friends. So we're going to have a big table like every year. Yeah. And so right now we are negotiating the menu with everybody involved. Mainly my daughter on one side, my father on the other. Ah. And me, you know, we have that triangle where, so what do we do for uh, this year? Is that going to be... Uh, uh, prime uh, roast of uh, of uh, wagyu, mm-hmm. or is it going to be a big bird? Uh, are you in for uh, turkey this year, or would you rather have a capon? Or because you need a big piece, you know, that's yeah, easier for a, a, a big table. Um, uh, I'm pushing for wild boar. We have some beautiful huh. wild boar coming in the whole rack. Um, so uh, my daughter loves venison. Uh, so we're, we're just talking. And then, of course, we have to have a ham, whether it's a mangalika ham or um, but it's going to be a mangalika ham because she already put her veto on this one. <laughs> um, so we, I have a stand in the kitchen where I put a ham when I know I have a lot of people at home. Yeah. And every time you pass by, you know, you cut a little piece of a ham all day long. And so that's the must. That's the uh, <laughs> one thing that is all set already. That's a good for snacking. Yeah, I think my I just was chatting with my mom. We're going with prime prime rib this year, and then I don't know. I don't know something interesting for breakfast is my job. I'm like ex- I'm like excited to like tinker a bit. There's like something lovely um, about getting the opportunity to just cook for a large group of people too. You know, yeah. it's like not an everyday thing. So you like want to do something expect extra special yeah and uh and uh, look at the uh, soup uh department also because with that kind of weather a yeah. good soup you know making starting it with a, a duck stock a duck demi-glace or a veal demi-glace and then expanding it with the juices of whatever you're cooking or putting some chestnuts in there and mixing it in there and i'm ready to so eat but- now <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you um, coming in to give us the update. And and folks out there listening, like I said, definitely check out um, the evolutionary uh, recording we did. You can find that by searching the Heritage Radio Network website. Uh, Great backstory on you and your work. And best of luck this holiday season. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, that is that is the end. That is the end of Farm Report for 2016. We are um, wrapping up here at the studio, but still looking to you for some support. All 34 of the Heritage Radio Network weekly programs are completely funded by listeners and supporters like you. We are in the middle of our end-of-year funding drive 
today through next Wednesday, December 21st, we are in a match period. So any amount you give between now and then will be doubled. Um, so definitely drop on by www.heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate or just click that beating heart and make a contribution today. Any amount helps. Uh, I might recommend becoming a member at the household level. We have some swanky new t-shirts designed by Pete Cesar, Anthony Falco. They're awesome. You can find them on our site as well. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next year. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Oh,